Let's pray. Almighty God, as your word has been uh, opened and read, I pray that you would give me uh, your help as I seek to proclaim it faithfully. God, we ask that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, um, and hearts to believe everything in your word and to trust in our Lord Jesus Christ with all the strength and grace that he gives us, we ask in his name. Amen. All right, we are continuing this morning Paul's instructions regarding roles for women and men in the church. Last week we examined instructions for men and women in regard to uh, worship in verses 8 through 10. This week we're moving into verses 11 through 15. However, as I say we're moving into that, there, I felt like this, to go into this passage, uh, deserved a preface. And so this week is a preface. Next week we are going to jump with both feet into verses 11 through 15. My plan is to get everybody so stirred up about these verses that you'll forget about the change in wine and communion next week. <laughs> um... So I feel that before we can fully appreciate Paul's instructions, we need to look this week at what the Bible says about gender differences and roles. So I'm going to be jumping around to some different scriptures uh, this morning. Needless to say, our society is at odds with the biblical teaching on this, on this subject. The tendency in our culture is to stress the equality of men and women by minimizing the differences, um, minimizing the unique um, significance of our male, our maleness and our femaleness. John Piper, along with most Bible-believing Christians, says this depreciation of male and female personhood is a great loss. It is taking a tremendous toll on generations of young men and women who do not know what it means to be a man or a woman. The consequence is more divorce, more homosexuality, more sexual abuse, more promiscuity, more social awkwardness, and more emotional distress and suicide that come with the loss of our God-given identity. Not only... Are conservative Bible-believing Christians calling attention to this confusion? Society as a whole feels as if we are adrift in a sea of confusion over our sexual roles. There are whole departments at our major universities dedicated to the study of gender issues. It does not help, frankly, that these gender studies departments in the universities purposely misrepresent the biblical view. They misrepresent the biblical view as male chauvinism and as the worst form of misogyny. Far from these gross misrepresentations, the Bible teaches a complementarianism between men and women. God created male and female as complementary expressions of the image of God. Males and females are complementary, um, are, are, are counterparts 
um, we could say, in reflecting his glory. Both sexes bear God's image fully on their own and does so in a unique and distinct way. And as I said last week in Genesis 1.27, um, men and women are created equally in the image of God. And therefore, we are equal in dignity. We are equal in, uh, in human personhood. God created men and women with differences which mutually benefit men and women rather than separating us. The Bible teaches complementarianism between the sexes. So I'm going to illustrate this by using um, an illustration from the Trinity. God the Father in eternity past, he planned um, to save a people for himself, and so he chose the elect. And then he said to the, his, the Son, his beloved Son, you enter into human history. Take on human flesh. Go and die in their place and rise gloriously from the grave in order that you might purchase these elect whom I have chosen to place my love upon in eternity past. And additionally then, the Father and the Son chose the the Holy Spirit to go and apply Christ's salvation to God's elect. Excuse me, I'm going to... I've got a whole pocket full of, of um, cough drops. I'm not sick. I just, the, the allergies are getting to me. So, this plan called into existence in eternity past is a great example of what we mean by complementarianism. The, father, I mean, the Son and the Holy Spirit are no less equal in being or in power or glory than the Father. And for our salvation, the, per- the persons of the Son and the Holy Spirit submitted themselves to the Father. Each willingly and joyfully took them to themselves different roles to accomplish our salvation. The Son and the Spirit are no less important, no less glorious, no less equal to the Father even though they have taken subordinating roles. This is not just an illustration that I'm grabbing out of the air. The Bible uses the persons of the Trinity to to illustrate our roles as men and women in the marriage relationship. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. The Apostle Paul says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Husbands and wives, when you live out your God-given roles in the marriage relationship, when you um, purposely um, uh, seek to, to build that complementary uh, relationship one with another. You become a picture of how Christ relates to the Father and how the Father relates to Christ. We live in a fallen world. The perfect marriage does not exist. I, I, uh, I, I know several of you in this congregation that 
Um, your marriage is something to attain to. Something to be an example for the young people here in our congregation. But you would agree with me that as great as your marriage is, it's far from perfect. Because marriage is the union of two sinners. Every one of us will struggle with self-centeredness. Every one of us will struggle to entrust uh, ourselves completely to our spouse. Every one of us will fail to pursue our spouse as vigorously as we should. Embodying your God-given roles will be a struggle at times. For some of you, more often than others. Your marriage will struggle more and you will miss out on great joy and harmony if you disregard the roles that God has given you by virtue of your gender. These roles are not old-fashioned or irrelevant for our progressive culture. These roles are necessary for every generation, for the previous generation and the generation to come. How do I know this? These these roles are rooted in the way that God created the world, in the way that God created us. God created us male and female, Genesis 1.27. In Genesis 1.28, the very next verse, God commanded Adam and Eve to be fruitful, to multiply and fill the earth. God created males and females with different abilities, obviously. I can't have a child, thankfully. Um, and so he's created with different abilities, also different roles for the propagation and the nurturing of the human race. God established Adam's headship in marriage before the fall. And so this idea of headship, this idea of having different roles is not a result of the fall. Rather, the fall broke and distorted the, the true complementarianism that we, um, that our first parents um, were to have and that we long to have through our, the redemption that comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we are to strive for now by His grace. Why are a man and a woman to get married Why is the institution of marriage such a big deal to God? Marriage is the foundation of society. The family is God's design to fill the earth and subdue it. Listen to Jesus in in Matthew chapter 19 as he reflects on God's design for marriage. Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus is unambiguous in saying that marriage was designed by God and that marriage is heterosexual and monogamous. Marriage is God's plan. Without marriage, there would be chaos. It is in the family where children are trained to live with others as they grow up with brothers and sisters. 
It is in the family where children are trained to submit to the governing authorities as they live under the watchful care and discipline of their parents. It is in the family where children are trained to to share with others, to care for others, to sacrifice for others. And they do it uh, better some days with their brothers and sisters than other days. And so we have the uh, process of discipline to train them and make them to be fit and productive citizens of our society. And even more than that, to be fit and productive in God's kingdom as they grow and into um, mature Christian adulthood. Our society would be exceedingly cruel and uncivilized were it not for the presence of the family. No government could be strong enough to implement the rule of law if children were not first trained in the family. But there's an even greater reason why God created and designed the institution of marriage as he did. It is hinted at in Genesis 2.18. The scripture says, The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. God knew that man needed a helpmate fit for him. Listen closely to what that passage said. I will make a helper fit for him. God did not create woman to be a servant for the man. That is not what this passage is saying. He created a helper fit for him. She is in God's image, sharing the same dignity, sharing the same personal value, being a helper for him. The woman then has an other-centered calling. She is not her own priority. Her priority must be for her husband and for her family. She is a helper fit for him. Her role as a helper is uh, other-centered. She's to look outside herself for her family, for her husband. Titus 2 verses uh, 3 through 5 Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children and to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. And then likewise, husbands are to be other-centered as well, they're to be other-centered in their calling toward their wife. Listen to Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 30. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his, of his body. 
husbands and wives are to be constantly, continually moving toward each other, sacrificing their own wishes and desires for the godly upbuilding of each other. Their calling to move toward the other is intended to help the other move toward God in order that both together can fulfill their God-given roles to fill the earth and bring it under their dominion. The husband is the head of the family and the wife's role is to help him lead successfully. So therefore, Paul says in Ephesians five twenty-two through 24, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and he, he is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Wives, your role is not to submit. Your role is to help your husband. Submission is your response to his role as head. He's the head, you respond in submission. You, and that's one of the, the key ways that you help him be everything that God intends for him to be. But then this raises the question, I'm sure maybe, in the wife's mind. Well, what's the husband's response to my role as his helpmate? A husband's response, in a word, is to praise and honor his wife. Husbands, you are never ever to take your wife for granted. You are never ever to run them down. You're never ever to be inconsiderate. Proverbs 31 verses 28 and 29 speaks of a godly wife. In fact, the whole second half of that chapter speaks of a godly wife. And notice how the children and the husband treat her. It says... Her, her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Marriage that takes seriously our God-given roles blossoms and grows godly generations. You know, sometimes I hear young men speak as if being single is a virtue. Usually they would quote 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 6 through 9. The Apostle Paul says, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all men, I'm sorry, I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better, better to marry than to burn with passion. I believe this passage was written for a specific time period in which they were living. A text without a context is a pretext. At, that, at the time that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, in around 54 A.D. or thereabouts, he knew that terrible persecution was going to break out against the church. The next 15 to 20 years were going to be awful. And if you were single, he's saying, it's better for
for you to be able to serve the Lord, care for yourself, rather than marrying and having a wife and children that are going to go through this awful time of persecution. And so it's against that backdrop that Paul wrote this instruction. In fact, 20 verses later, he said, I think that in view of the impending distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. And so I think this is the the caveat he's saying here. In other words, I believe that marriage is a good institution. It is one to be desired. We are called to join in holy matrimony to better fulfill the mandate to fill the earth and to exercise dominion over it. A husband and a wife are much more able to exercise this godly dominion than a horde of specific individuals going their own way. In fact, I'll say this. My masculinity as as a man created in God's image blooms and grows more fruitful because I am um, planted in the soil of Mandy's femininity, if I may put it that way. Likewise, Mandy's femininity as a woman created in God's image blooms and grows more fruitful as she is planted in the soil of my masculinity. We are a complementarianism in our marriage. We aim at that. We want that oneness not only because God says that we are one flesh and we want to be who we are, but we also know that together we are more effective for God's kingdom. And I dare say you wouldn't want me as your pastor. If I were unmarried. And uh, I am a much better pastor. Because of my wife. You don't know how many times she has. Uh, saved you from me. <laughs> Different in some of my ideas. So what am I saying? I'm saying young people. Don't sit in your, your parents basements. till you're 25 or 30 years old. Pursue marriage. So that you and your spouse can pursue God's calling together. You're much better together than you are by yourself. We have been speaking in platitudes about the complementary differences between men and women. And we've been speaking only of the joys and triumph of the marriage relationship. I want to recognize that we live in a deeply fallen world. I recognize that there are many expressions of the ways males and females relate to each other that are destructive and very painful. The gender issues have have also become political hot potatoes, which is never healthy for our society. But Jesus Christ came into our world to remove these difficulties. In his redemption, there is power to overcome these These difficulties. Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Jesus Christ. And he's not obliterating the differences here. What he's doing is he is taking the things that would separate us. Jew and Gentile. 
or um, slave or free, male or female, anything that would, that would separate us in Christ, we are one. By His grace and through the witness and proclamation of the church, Christ will complete the, the oneness that we already have in our Lord Jesus Christ. We're living between the now and the not yet. We are one in Christ, but we're still sinners. By the gospel and by the faithful proclamation of the gospel and by the Holy Spirit. And as families, uh, husband and wives, love each other as Christ calls us to do. To enjoy the differences. To experience the complementarianism. More and more. Christ will overcome this destructive and very painful expressions of the way that males and females relate to each other in our world. And whatever remnants are left, and there will be great remnants, he'll clear all that away when he comes back in glory. You know, I also recognize that there are different, uh, that there are difficulties, deep difficulties within marriages where both spouses confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Our Lord Jesus um, loves his sheep even when his sheep are nipping at each other. If you are struggling in marriage, have you ever gotten on your knees before the Lord with your spouse? And confessed your own sins before the Lord with your spouse sitting right beside you? Have you confessed to the Lord the ways you've hurt your wife or your husband? In other words, bring the Lord Jesus Christ right into the middle of your marriage. Don't keep him brushed off to the side. He loves you. He loves both of you. He's not sorting out who's right or wrong. He says, take the, the, the log out of your own eye so that you can see clearly to help your brother or sister who has a speck in their own eye. He's willing to help. Are you willing to allow him to help? Flee to him. Marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. We'll look at that next week in, in a lot more detail. And so, because it is a picture of his deep love for the church, because it is a reflection of his love for the bride, flee to him knowing that he can overcome any difficulty, however deep, however prolonged, however helpless you might think that you are. He can do it. We can do all things through him who gives us strength. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that though we are deeply flawed and sinful people, and we have, many of us, been united into marriage, have experienced the joys, but also the deep pains. Lord, we, we flee to you because we know that you are able to, um, to make us fruitful. Because you are the true vine. 
We are your branches. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.